that's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. The librarian was my dad. Welcome back to the tallest building in town. I'm Shauna. And I'm Steve. We work at Sun Prairie Public Library, and we're coming to you from the Sun Prairie Media Center. And we're here to tell stories about libraries. And uh, we had a great story last time about a rural library. We wanted to continue that trend, and we had a bunch of really cool story ideas. Yeah, we were trying to gather stories, and then news broke that there was a finalist for the National Medal Forum the Institute of Museum and Library Services. So we switched gears, and I called Andy at Macmillan Memorial Library to congratulate him on their recognition and also talk about their library. This is amazing because the only other Wisconsin public library to make this list was Madison Public Library in 2016. Did Madison actually win, or did they just... They won. They won. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So seeing a rural library like Macmillan that operates with a much different budget, staff, and resources. For them to be in the spotlight, it was very exciting news. After this interview, we're going to shed some light on who the Institute of Museum and Library Services, or IMLS, is, because they're the folks behind this national award, and a lot of people might not know who they are, what they do, and why they are vital in the existence, literally, to some of our libraries. But first, we will celebrate and showcase a rural public library in Wisconsin. The city of Wisconsin Rapids lies on the banks of the Wisconsin River in central Wisconsin's Wood County. Originally two communities, Grand Rapids and Centralia, the current city was formed when the two cities merged in 1900. The name was later changed from Grand Rapids to Wisconsin Rapids in 1920. By this time, a public library had been in the community for 30 years. The Macmillan Memorial Library, named for a generous donor in 1970, has been a fixture in its rural county since its founding. In addition to serving as the county resource library, the founding of four other small libraries in Wood County are directly related to Macmillan. Formerly book stations reached by Witter Traveling Libraries, which were large wooden boxes full of books that were housed in Wisconsin Rapids, Nakusa, Arpin, Vesper, and Pittsville have all opened small public libraries that continue to be supported by book loans from Macmillan. In 1970, the most current iteration of the Macmillan Memorial Library was opened in Wisconsin Rapids. Home to a beautiful community theater and award-winning services, the Macmillan Library now serves a community of 17,000 people, as well as surrounding township residents. Shauna talked with library director Andy Barnett, who shared more about how Macmillan has changed over the years. My name is Andy Barnett. I'm the director of the Macmillan Memorial Library, which is the municipal library of Wisconsin Rapids. 
today I just wanted to talk to you to highlight your library because you're among the 30 finalists for the 2019 National Medal for Museum and Library Service, which is so significant. But recently, Steve and I in our podcast, we've been talking about rural libraries, and I don't know if you consider yourself one actually, you know, in, in your day-to-day, but I did want to ask you that, if that's how you feel, and but also like what your personal definition of a rural library is. That's a very difficult question. I used to work in the Upper Peninsula. Every library in the Upper Peninsula is a rural library. I once filled out a questionnaire, and the metric for rural library was the nearest community of 25,000 people. Well, from Iron Mountain, the nearest community of 25,000 people in Michigan was 400 miles away, mm. uh, <laughs> which which should count as a rural library, I guess. Uh, Green Bay was much closer, so we weren't quite that rural. But in many ways, it's size rather than location to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I look at rural libraries as like the champions of, you know, the, the public library world. So I would... I guess I guess I don't know if your library constitutes when it comes to numbers and everything. If you know, oh, we're definitely a rural library. <laughs> okay, because I think that's a really good thing and something to celebrate. So that's why I was so excited to talk with you before, because I was like, oh my gosh, this rural library is doing all this incredible work, and that kind of changes the definition, perhaps, of what folks might think of when they think of a rural library. You know. For libraries, it's it's easier to do interesting things and in, sometimes in a smaller library. If you've got deer eating in your yards and occasionally a bear wanders through town, you're probably a rural library. As far as libraries go, we it's nice to, to get recognition. Being one of 30 finalists, one of 15 libraries in the United States up for a national award is heartening. Uh, we certainly view it as a chance to do some promotion and publicity on this, mm-hmm. uh, to really highlight our community and our community partners. How do you think that you would describe it to your community, since not everyone knows what, you know, Museum and Library Service, what that is, IMLS? So. Yeah, M- uh, IMLS is like, well, what is IMLS? Uh, <laughs> who are they? Uh, nobody knows. Uh, a lot of librarians aren't quite sure. Uh, but when you say finalists for the National Medal. It's like, yes, this is a government award. Mm-hmm. They do 10 of them a year. We're in, we're in the finalist status. Everyone goes, oh, I understand that. Uh, they don't need to know the details, uh, the metrics that IMLIS uses. Uh, but we say, you know, it's for exceptional service and things like that. And then they go, oh, yeah, well, you guys totally deserve that. You know, we want to celebrate it. And then May 1st, maybe we want to celebrate even more, mm-hmm. or maybe we want to just kind of continue to celebrate in a more low-key way. Yeah, I think trying to like tell that story to the public can be a little tricky. Because our application was based on community engagement, every day for 45 days, we're thanking one of our community partners. Every day, it's a different community partner. We're saying, thank you. You're the reason we qualified for this. But yes, we're, we're going out of our way to, to make sure that the, that, that the organizations who we've worked with know that they're the reason we qualify for this. Could you talk about how, how do your staff talk about the library as a third place in your community? 
Internally, we've used a couple books, so uh, being librarians, uh, Bowling mm-hmm. Alone by Robert Putnam is mm-hmm. kind of a foundational text on uh, communities and third places, a place that isn't work, that isn't home, that is a community space. Community spaces are best if they have food involved or activities. They're best if they don't require a lot of money to participate in. Libraries are that space. We also use the book Setting the Table, mm-hmm. which is about hospitality by Danny Meyer. He's a restaurateur. The idea that a library should be a hospitable place, that we're not built for efficiency. We're built for come on in, hang around, meet other people. We are going to be friendly to you. I think that's an important piece of being a third place. And being a third place that's different than some of the more commercial third places. Kids end up hanging out at Taco Bell. Well, they're not as hospitality oriented. And you're going to have to buy stuff all the time. And there's not much to do there other than sit and goof around. The library is a better third place than a lot of commercial options. In most communities, you need that as a place to build community just for people to be able to work together and see each other. I love that idea and concept. So I was really happy to see that on your website. Yeah, you have to you have to change your space to do it because libraries are not built that way. Yeah. Uh, we talk about zoning our facility. We have an adult room that is more like a traditional library, a youth services area that's going to be louder, that kids will be running around in, they may not have their shoes on. And we have a commons, and the commons is, is a place for social behavior. It's a place for teens to gather and kill zombies on computers. It's where they can play board games. It's where they can sit and take pictures of each other. And old guys with bad hearing aids can yell at each other over about the newspapers. That's an important piece. Most libraries don't adequately serve that kind of purpose. And maybe they don't need to in their community, but in our community, it's an important piece for us. And that's why we have a coffee house. That's why we have a social commons. It can be so tricky to handle the different levels of noise. And that speaks well to what I wanted to ask you about. We're actually in the midst of creating a space for our teens because we haven't had that space in our library because we're running out of space. But I wondered if you could talk about your youth services space. It's inspired by a children's museum. And I wondered what that was like. As a, as a smaller community, we don't have a actual children's museum in town. So having a space where people can come in and the kids can handle numbers and letters and blocks, and they always end up making swords out of things um, and chasing each other around. Uh, But having a place that is more than you come in, you pick three books, and you walk back out, that's that's not hospitality. It's not sticky, and you want your, your building to be sticky. So we want the kids to come in and have them go over and go, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out to our garden. Don't go to our garden today. It's still got a foot of snow. But when our garden is open, go out and watch the butterflies, go out and see the birds, go out and play a game in the garden, play on the computers, play with handheld things, kinesthetic, different ways of learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to involve them in that. So it makes the children's room a destination and it makes it memorable because it's different than other places they go to. And you want them to remember your library when they go home, and you want them to want to come back because they had a good time. Even as an adult, you know, when I walk into a library like that, 
and see those sorts of things around, it makes me want to talk to people about going there. So even if, I mean, it's wonderful if, um, it's wonderful for kids and youth to have space, but, you know, that also excites adults about bringing other people to the library. Back to your question, in terms of a teen area, we don't have a big reserved teen area where it's like, uh, I know some libraries say have signs that go, this area is for teens only, adults should not be here. The social commons is big enough so that after school, there's plenty of room for teens. And they take over all the tables and they do things and they sit and eat pizza and whatever they're going to do. And that's fine and it's wonderful. But when they leave, then maybe a bunch of knitters come in and take their place and in the morning it's a completely different set of people so having a social space that is a teen area some part of the day but not other parts of the day mm-hmm. works well for us because we're not reserving a space and then only using it three hours a day or four hours a day it's in use all day long basically and there's always a lot of people down there yeah i mean it sounds very adaptable which is what you need it's what we could do in our space our building is uh, almost 50 years old and has not been expanded in that time mm. we're in the original footprint uh, that we were in when the building opened in 1970 which It's a very flexible building, but it's not any bigger than it was 50 years ago. Uh, We redesigned the commons area in 2005. We redesigned the children's area, the youth services in 2013. And we're in the middle of a new planning process for the third major space in the library right now. I wanted to touch on real quick, since, you know, community engagement seems to be a big driver behind all these aspects of your library. Um, a lot of it was mentioned in the, you know, announcement for the the National Medal uh, for Museum and Library Service. How would you define community engagement, or if that's a, too big of a question, how do you feel like you're doing a good job when it comes to being really inclusive with this large space, large, you know, amount of people that you're trying to serve in your community? I think I'd say two things there. One is that we made our staff outward-facing I think the best use of your higher-level staff is to face out of the building, to be on community boards, to be meeting with homeless, to meet with the drug abuse people, to meet with teen success coalitions, to be out of the library working with people in, in the community who are trying to get things done and serving them that way. I think that's a great way to be out, face outward, and always be looking for ways to cooperate ways to be of service. The other point is you should never do things for people without them. Uh, it, It should be just a basic point that if you're doing something for someone, they should be the ones driving you on what you do. If you're going to do a program for autistic children, you shouldn't just go, oh, I saw this nice program and we're going to do it. You should be talking to the the parents and going, what do you need? What would you like? And sometimes you'll offer them something that they didn't even think of, but more often they want something and they haven't thought of asking the library. Yeah, I think that folks just need a gentle reminder that the library is there for them. And I think that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I think those skills as as a librarian aren't talked about enough. You know, how do you reach people? How do you talk to people Um, and try and ask the right questions so that you can hear from them? Because I think a lot of librarians do struggle with community engagement and, you know, maybe prioritizing it, being able to get out of the building, things like that. So 
it sounds like you've been talking a lot about that with your staff. And I think it's important to do it intentionally and to do it as a uh, priority and to do it as part of a plan. So it's it's not that our young adult librarian says, oh, I'm going to go work with teachers. It's that all our staff say, we're all going out and we're all going to work with a bunch of people. These are the people you're going to work with. This is your job. But, you know, as director, I'm I'm dealing with a different segment of the community that I work with. I'm on the uh, drug task force and I'm on a stigma reduction task force mm. and working with um county health department on mental health issues and what we can do is because we've got a theater and a place that we can serve food is we serve as a comfortable place for people to come and gather and talk and we take care of the licenses for a movie or we we pay for a speaker and that just flattens the uh, the problems out for them it's like oh we'd like to show this movie oh I'll take care of the license. Yeah. I'll do the setup, and we'll do it at the library. And you want to you want to have a dinner before? No problem. You 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 arrange the food. We'll have everything set up for you. And it's like, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share about your library? Maybe something that you think someone's not going to ask you about when you're doing all this media and press about this really exciting time that you're you know experiencing. I would say it's important to really think about what you're doing. All libraries have limited, you've got a limited building, you've got limited staff, you've got limited money, your staff has limited time. You can work your staff to death if you give them too many good ideas. You do need to focus. You do need a plan of service that says, here are the things we think we can do. There's other things that we just don't think we have the skill set. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the right facility for it. There have to be things that you just kind of walk away from. Mm -hmm. uh, but the things you do, you should do really well. We are a rural library. Uh, we have a lot of agriculture in the area. So there's uh, the nearest city that is significantly bigger than us, maybe Wausau. Other than that, it's it's a long drive to a to a really large city. And uh, so, yeah, I'm comfortable being a rural library. I feel like you are a champion of rural libraries, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. It's a really big deal that they're getting this award or that they're a finalist for this award. But what is IMLS? Like, what do they do? That's what I don't understand. It's pretty complicated. Okay. They do provide a lot of funding nationally for public libraries and for museums. They also work on policy making and advocacy in general. Okay. And so it's true that it's a little confusing because they're a federal agency. Right. And so there's a lot of facts and monies within that. that right. It's hard to break down it in like a, a short period of time. It's just people in offices, really. Yeah. Right. Like they don't have a library of their own. <laughs> well, I just try to picture them like the people in offices. I mean, it's part of like the executive branch. They have their special budget that they release every year. And that's where this that's where this lives. Right. As well as like the funding for National Public Radio and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like tax money 
and they're going to give it to the states to do stuff with. Right. The Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, they receive grants, LSTA grants, which are the Library Services and Technology Act. That's what that stands for. And those monies are dispersed and other grants to regional systems such as the South Central Library System that we're a part of. And so we usually are getting about $2.6 million. Which is a lot. Of, that's so much money. That's so much money. But then you think about how many public libraries exist in our state, for example. If you include branches, there's almost 450. Yeah, okay, that's a lot. Yeah. And so if you consider, for example, our regional system, that's 54 libraries right there. And in order for us to be a part of that regional system, some Prairie Public Library, we have to give them around $150,000 to actually take advantage of the full benefits of being in this regional system. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. So this is like talking about library funding is like is enough to make people turn off their radios <laughs> yeah. or turn off a podcast. But what we're really trying to talk about is what is IMLS and what do they do with how does it trickle our libraries? To, yeah, how does it trickle yeah. down to a local level? Yeah. And so we say $2.6 million. But then if you look at our operational budget, for example... <laughs> Is that too boring? No, this is great. You should see this pie chart. <laughs> you know, we had to spend two point, almost the same amount of money just to exist as our library. Right. And so, therefore, that money doesn't actually look very impressive. Yeah, I mean, when you spread it out across the whole state, it's not really a whole lot of money. But it does a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. However, not everybody thinks that it's as important as we do. So in 2017, the Trump administration tried to defund and shut down IMLS as part of its annual budget to Congress. That didn't pass, so that was, that was good. But then they tried to do the same thing in the 2018 budget and in the 2019 budget. Um, we're fortunate that the executive branch doesn't have the power to actually revoke funding, but it is disturbing that for the past three years, they've recommended shutting IMLS down. The way the administration's budget works, the, the president submits his budget ideas to Congress. Then the House and the Senate budget committees review the requests. There's like eight more committees and drafts and all this. And by the time it gets down to the budget that they actually vote on, most of the stuff that the president has recommended doesn't end up in the final budget. So again, um, for the past three years, he's recommended shutting down IMLS, which means all the grants that they fund would not get funded. So what does that mean? Some of the things that IMLS gr grants fund is WISCAT, which is our statewide library catalog. And like it's like every library in the state is all on one online catalog. And you can order books and stuff from any of them. Yeah. So that, that's really great. Um, the delivery service, which we depend on, like we get delivery six days a week. Lots of small libraries don't get it that much, but they really need that delivery. You know, if you have a library that only has 10,000 books in it, then you need more stuff. Yeah. Um, so it funds delivery. It funds BadgerLink, which is all these free databases. Um, it gives tons of grants to tribal libraries. And we talked um, earlier this year to some tribal library staff and, um, you know, um, the Oneida Library had just gotten a grant from IMLS, a pretty big one. And they really depend on those to exist. Yeah. Um, so the justification that the president gives is, I'm going to read this quote. Uh, Given that IMLS primarily supports discrete short-term projects, 
as opposed to operation sustaining funds, it is unlikely the elimination of IMLS would result in the closure of a significant number of libraries and museums. Ugh. So and it's kind of like either they don't understand what's going on, they don't they don't really understand what the grants are used for, or they just don't care. I don't I don't know. It's hard it's hard to tell what's going on there. Yeah. Um. But. I mean, they they are right. Like they don't fund daily operations, and they they shouldn't because libraries are community based. We should be primarily funded by our municipalities, right? right. Which we are. Yeah. I think our pie chart shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seventy three percent of our revenue comes from municipality. I guess it's just surprising to me that a lot of folks don't know what IMLS is. Right. But then also just the different pieces that help libraries work within our state. So I feel like it's important to understand what IMLS is, but also the regional systems and the statewide efforts that exist because we can't usually, especially smaller rural libraries, do it by themselves. Right, right, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they they have this national award that they give out every year. Um, it's libraries that are doing things that fit with IMLS's vision for what they what they want libraries to be, which is serving their communities. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in an outstanding way, right? Like, so like Macmillan Library is doing all these different things, uh, really, really concentrating on community engagement, community involvement, mm-hmm. community outreach, all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if, you, if you're interested in learning more about IMLS, you should definitely contact your representatives and thank them for continuing to um, support IMLS. So, um, you know, like I said, the president keeps recommending that it just go away, but our representatives keep voting for it. And in fact, last year they even gave us more money than we asked for, which is really great. It is. It's uh, scary every time we hear about it, but then all these good things do end up happening. Yeah. To keep us alive. <laughs> Us being the libraries, not us personally. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing okay. Well, thanks for listening to another episode. You can reach us on Facebook at Tallest Building. That's right. And on our website, tallestbuildingintown.com. Uh, also, I was going to say, we don't know yet if Macmillan has actually won the award. You know, they're a finalist for the IMLS award. We're going to find out at the end of this month it should be. Yeah. So we'll post about that. Hopefully they'll do it. But even if they don't, that's a huge deal. It is. 15, like 15 libraries got the finalist designation in the whole country. And again, this is just the second one of, of Wisconsin's to be recognized. So that's why it's also a big deal. Yeah. So congrats. Con- congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the tallest building in town. I'll see you next time. See you next time, Steve. All right, Shauna, see you next time when we talk about the mysteries of libraries. <laughs> <laughs>